As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. So thank you for joining us today with the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. We are joined by Pete Scazzaro, who is the founder of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York, a multiracial church with more than 73 countries represented. Pete is also the co-founder, along with his wife, Jerry, of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a global ministry active in over 25 countries, and of which our team has had the distinct pleasure of being a part of in Queens, New York. Pete, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here, Mike. So, Pete, one of the things that just a couple minutes ago, I was walking into my office and one of my team members said, I was just reading a review for the book Lost in the Middle, and someone's review said, besides Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Leadership book, this is, you know, that is my number one book that I turn to for helping myself get ready for the next stage of life. And I just thought, what a testimony that your book is reaching leaders all over the world, both inside of churches and outside through believers who want to change the world of leadership. Yeah, it's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there was a lot of blood in that one. <laughs> yeah. Emotionally healthy leader, you know, I actually wrote that after 26 years of being lead pastor at New Life. And I had been journaling reflections of what I'd learned, especially the last eight years. And really that book was written out of simple mistakes. Everyone that I said, if I had a book I wanted to read when I was first, you know, in my thirties, I said, this would be the one I'd want to pick up. So it was basically all my journal and I kind of organized it. Wow. That's how that book was actually written. It took eight years. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, one of the things, Pete, that I, as a leader who follows your ministry and who has attended your conferences and has read a lot of your resources, I frequently find myself repeating special podcasts or things that you put out through the Emotionally Healthy LeaderCast podcast. And I'd love to discuss some key topics today for our listeners. One, we spend a lot of time doing succession work. And I love the concept that you have with every ending has a new beginning. Would you mind unpacking that for us just a little bit? Yeah, yeah. There's a principle in life. There's a principle in the heart of what Christianity is all about. And that is that there has to be an ending before there's a new beginning. There has to be a death before there's a resurrection. And, you know, in order for something new to be birthed, what people forget is there has to be an ending. And something has to end, and that gives room for the kind of waiting in between period for something new to be birthed. But that process, many folks want a new beginning, but they want to hold on to the ending just in case the new beginning, they don't like it. Mm. And so what happens is they don't do something like succession. They don't move on, and because they're hanging on to the old out of fear that it'll be worse. Mm. And as a result, as you know, many companies, many churches, many organizations, nonprofits, do succession quite poorly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I come from a family business, which we've had for over almost 100 years in my family. Succession was never done well. I've just known so many nonprofits and churches and companies that have just done a poor job of succession. But the principle is there has to be an ending. There's that, you know, that confusing in-between period of kind of waiting as new things are birthing. And then there is a new birth. 
then we can go into it. The whole issue of the inner life of the leader is the key to any succession process. Mm-hmm. But that ending new beginning principle is critical. So what do you mean by that? The interlife is critical to any leadership and any human. Can you un- yeah. share that? Yeah, yeah, the inner life. I mean, it is challenging to do succession. Being a leader is challenging. And basically who you are as a person is the most important factor in your leadership. And there's lots of leadership skills you, you know, we learn and great leadership books out there. And the tasks of leadership, team building, building healthy culture, strategic planning, it's all good. It's all important. It's great stuff to learn. But more than that is who you are as the leader in the process. Mm. So the primary reason many people struggle with succession is their own inner unawareness, issues of who am I? a sense that my life is grounded in something much larger than my identity being in my job and my role. And then just the process of letting go is, it's frightening actually to let go. If you're doing, you're at a point leader, and in my case, I was senior pastor in the life for 26 years. It's normal and almost inevitable that your identity gets somewhat wed with your role because you've been doing it for so long. And that's not all bad. It's the awareness of I am not my role. I am more than that. and to be able to grieve and feel the loss that it is to let go. Mm. All letting go is a death. Life's a series of letting goes. So, you know, I'm practicing my letting goes in life because I'm doing the inner work so that when the big moments come, I'm able to let go well. Mm-hmm. For example, I've seen many people die and being a pastor for many, you know, for decades. And I've seen many people die poorly. I've seen a few die very well. But death is the great letting go. Everyone's going to do succession, right? right. I mean, it's just a matter of one way or the other. It's coming. Yeah. So why not do be good steward of your role and do it brilliantly? Right. So the organization and ministry propels itself forward. So what I did that, you know, that my own work was what's the inner process for letting go? For me, I would I had to be very, you know, I'm not saying it modeled for me. So I had to build it. And I went to therapy. I, I had a couple of mentors in my life because uh, I went into a depression. I was ready for it, but I was depressed for about a year, year and a half. My succession was a four and a half year process. And I went into a season of real disorientation as we were in the process. And everything at that point was geared into what's going to follow Pete Scazzaro once he let go. And, but once you get the succession process going, the train has left the track. The whole organization's already going through a big change because mm-hmm. everything's being geared. Every hire, every plan is in light of what's coming. Mm-hmm. That hey, The senior person's not going to be here. It's going to be somebody else. So at that point, the grief process begins yeah. because you realize there's things going on without you. Yeah, yeah. And we see that so often. You see it in church leadership. We see it in organizational leadership because at the end of the day, it's just all leadership, wherever you're leading. Yeah. And people struggle so much where they begin putting their selves, their identity into their work versus realizing that they're their own identity did you find yourself in that space as well? Is that part of the grieving process of separation of yourself versus your job title? Absolutely. Yes, I did. It was a tremendous growing moment for me. Hmm. I grew as a person emotionally, spiritually. I felt like I had never understood the cross of Jesus Christ until I went through succession. Wow. And I started meditating on what it meant for Jesus to let go and to die naked on a cross and let go of his life, his friendships, his disciples, and he just died naked 
you know, for the sins of the world, but he let himself go. So something new could be birthed in his resurrection. And I got it. I said, that makes, you know, how he did it, the, the loneliness. There's a loneliness in succession that you must walk alone as a lead person. And it's painful. It doesn't mean it's not wonderful. Mm-hmm. Again, if you've got some good, healthy, I think, counsel along the way, you're doing your own inner work, you're self-aware, and you don't follow all of your feelings because you're going to have some really bad days. But you keep remembering, my role is to be a good steward of this you know, organization. In my case, it was the church. You had 1,500 people. You had a you know, couple million dollar budget. You've got huge resources. And my role is to steward them, which means to, to set it up for the next 20, 30 years. That's a big responsibility. And I realize it's one of the most important things I will do in terms of my legacy is handing it over. And yes, people aren't going to you anymore. Like all of a sudden, you're not the center of attention. You don't snap your fingers and everybody jumps. It's a new day. And, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It was wonderful. It was amazing. And it's been now five years. And uh, I haven't regretted it for one second. Pete, when you went into that, did you have any idea what you would do next? Or did God reveal that as a part of this process of where he was calling you next? No, when I initiated it, I did not know. And, you know, I would like to have known, but I didn't know. I think if you're married, your spouse is a very important piece of that discernment process. And Jerry, I was 53 when I initiated my succession. And Jerry had a really good sense. I think you know, there's more to life than being senior pastor of a church. I think God's got some other things for us. I'd like to live without being under the pressure that we've lived in for, at that point, it'll be 26 years. And to experience what might life be like to not be carrying the weight of a congregation. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I just think God's got some other things for us that we want to be young enough and have the freedom to do. And I mean, I knew that was true. I think when she felt, Pete, it's better to do earlier than later. And so we did. And I'm so glad we did that. So I transitioned at 57, which was a great age. But then as the years progressed, this four-year process, it began to get clear that there was this whole world of emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy leadership, emotionally healthy discipleship that had grown so large through my books that Yes, we would, you know, form a nonprofit and serve churches around the world Mm. uh, and organizations with what we learned in leadership over those past 26 years. And so we were pretty fortunate in that it was almost seamless by the time the four and a half years were over, but it wasn't when we first started. Mm. So there was a scary part of it, but I wasn't so much worried about what was coming. It was just, I was so used to doing the same thing for so long And the church was doing really well. It wasn't like the church was in trouble. We were growing, we were thriving, but I knew that was the best time for succession, not when we were on a downturn. Wow. And so again, my vote is always do earlier than later. And then because I stayed on the background so that we could bring a younger person in as the lead pastor and I could be there kind of as a mentor guide, but yet not be in any kind of power authority position. Yeah. That was a wise thing, I think, as well. He needed me around in the background as he kind of you know, took the lead, took the reins, and it really served him. I think if I had left quickly and just disappeared, we would have had to gotten an older, more mature person in that role. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's fine. You know, now it's not an issue. But the first couple of years, it was just good I was in the background, you know, for him. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. And our listeners listening today may go, so how did Centennial and Sipple connect up with Scazzaro and New Life and the Emotionally Healthy Leadership Conference. So just to share about three years ago to those listening, we were looking for a unique 
out-of-town leadership experience to take our leadership team through and had an opportunity. We have a team member who's based in Inwood, Manhattan. Larry Bennett recommended that we look into Emotionally Healthy Leadership Conference. And we spend a lot of time working on healthy culture, healthy communication, transparency, loving people, connecting with people, building relationships for organizations. And we got turned on to this great leadership conference that, to be frank, was in a pivotal life changing experience for me of taking over our family business. So this was right when that was all transforming and transpiring. And I had the opportunity to take a team. I think there were six or seven of us that uh, came up to Queens and attended that conference. And it has been, I give away, Pete, I give away lots of copies of your books. We have links to your site on our website, of various blog posts and blog content linking back. There's even a moment where I had, and I've shared this in some previous episodes on our podcast, where I was reflecting on all of the many things that Mike Sipple does and really understanding that, you know, my family is first, my relationship with my wife is first, my relationship with the Lord is first, having a healthy home is more important than having a healthy company in so many ways. And being able to really live that out in our ministry here at Centennial and the impact that we have on others, encouraging leaders that may have forgotten that at times, that your home life is, you know, what I believe more important than your work life. And in many cases, the relationships that we have around us are, that's living out the gospel, in my opinion. You know, the way that we live out, the way we love people, the way we build trust and care for relationships is what we believe the gospel is. And that shows up in our evidence of our work if you're in the workplace or if you're like us that we feel every day called to do and love people like Jesus loves people all around the world with the organizations that we serve. And so I just want to thank you for the wow. the impact and opportunity. Well, you'll be interested to hear this. When I wrote my first book, a professor from Harvard and the MBA program picked it up. This guy taught at Stanford and Harvard in the MBA program on leadership. And he contacted me and came down to New York to see me and said to me, this issue of leading out of your marriage is a sliver on leadership that he says, I don't believe anybody's ever touched on. Hmm. My basic thesis, and it came out of my own story here, I was leading our church and we were growing and rapidly and multiplying churches. But there was a lot of dysfunction in the organization, but there was also, my marriage wasn't going well. And God met Jerry and I, it's a long story, and I mean, God met us in an extraordinary way, and it became very clear to me that I needed to lead out of my marriage. In other words, the health of the organism of the marriage was gonna be an indicator of the health of the organism of the organization. In other words, I couldn't resolve conflict with my wife in a very mature, healthy way, for example, in the bedroom, how was I going to resolve conflict in a mature way at a board meeting with enormous tension and pressure? Mm. If I couldn't have a healthy organism or team with my own spouse, how was I going to build a healthy team with 20 staff? Mm. In other words, and Paul actually brings that principle out in First Timothy 3. He says one of the qualifications to be an elder in the church is that you're basically, you preside over your own family well. In other words, there, there's health, there's integrity. So we began to invest in the marriages of our leadership in 1996 and basically said, we're all going to have healthy marriages out of which we lead our churches. And that was revolutionary. 
And so this guy from Harvard, we spent a lot of time together. And it was interesting because I said, why don't you teach me all the MBA stuff? And I'll give you my stuff, you know, that came out of the church, you know. And so I actually learned, you know, he kind of took me through a bunch of tests and had me read all these books. And it's very interesting, you know. And, but I realized that it wasn't all these skills and tests and stuff that I did get from him. It really was what we had gotten out of the crucible of leading this church over two, 26 years. Mm-hmm. And some of those principles were gold. And leading out of your marriages is one of those principles that I would die on that hill. Yeah. Die on that hill. Yeah, Pete, one of the things interesting, so I just, again, to take our listeners back and yourself back, because I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. So I was at a point where I was getting ready to take over our family business and getting some really good coaching and advice on what life was going to look like when you move into that position and how things will change and how relationships will change or can change, depending on if you allow it. And I was also getting ready to be chair of a organization that was focused in corporate acquisitions. So I was going to be the chair that next year on top of all of this. And I was carrying a very heavy burden knowing that that was going to take me outside of the time that I have invested for my workplace and my team. And it was going to remove margin for my children and my wife. And I was actually at a basketball camp sitting in a hallway reading Emotionally Healthy Leadership and the Emotionally Healthy Leader. And there was a portion in that book that basically struck me at the core. And it said that God doesn't need you to accomplish his plans, but he wants you. He wants to use you and have you on his team, but basically describing limits. Like you're going to, you don't have to push so many of us as leaders push way past our limits and try to give everyone else everything we have and don't leave enough good for ourselves, Mm -hmm. our relationship with Christ and our relationship at the home front. So I sat there, the end of the story, uh, (laughs) I sat in that lobby that day, wrote an email to the executive director and called all of the board members who had nominated me to be chair and stepped down. And it was one of those emotional awakening experiences that I share often And, you know, we need as leaders to make sure that we can be the best versions of ourselves in our relationships, work, community, and life. And that's reframing success in leadership. And I just wanted to share that, the experience, and the way that God moved through the words that you happened to put on paper, um, and the way that he's impacting people in this world. The limits thing is such an, you know, it's a principle, I don't think it ever ends, that learning about how God comes to us and his plans come to us much more through our limits than our potential. Mm. And it's one of the core issues of being an excellent leader. If you read someone like, you know, Jim Collins, he talks about, you know, a company not having going in 12 directions at once, right? And Mm -hmm. their flywheel, et cetera. But I think the biblical thing is Jesus had limits of what he did. He discipled 12 people. One didn't even work out. He never traveled more than 200 miles. He had a very simple three-year ministry, work life, that was it. And he's changed the whole world, but he had a very clear understanding of the limits of what God had given him to do. Mm. When we cross over our limits and start doing things like we're in charge, I always find myself not just exhausted, but in enemy territory. I'm in a bad place. There's a feeling of out of control, franticness, just anxious anxiety. And you actually accomplish more by doing less. Mm. 
when you embrace that gift of I'm limited, I'm just one human being and there's a big world out there and I've got my part to play. Mm. I've definitely accomplished way more by doing way less. And it's, of course, been a much more joyful life. But there is a biblical principle. I think John the Baptist said a person can receive only what's given him from heaven. Mm -hmm. God's given each person something from heaven to do in life. But again, back to my own unawareness of my shadow and looking to impress people, I end up trying to be more than that. And that's when life gets really messy. And leadership becomes a burden, not a joy. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about the experience. It's really, you know, again, getting us to reframe everything that Jesus did during his time on earth. And you share, and, and it's in the Bible, but you put it in certain ways in your books that really hit me as a leader that says, you know, when times got really tough, sometimes Jesus just went off in silence yes. and just stepped away versus getting into the argument and driving, 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 like we all try to do so much. Any insights you could share with the leaders listening today that might be feeling like, oh, I didn't get it all accomplished today. I'm going to try to tackle it tomorrow. And I hope I don't have a heart attack or burnout by the end of the year. Yeah. Let's stay on this limits issue. Integrating the gift of limits is one of the most important tasks of growing into a mature person. Let me work backwards. There are people who grow older in their 80s and 90s and their kids have to take away their keys because they can't accept the fact that they're growing more limited, right? The keys in the car, they can't drive anymore. My own mother-in-law is 92, almost 93, lives in a house by herself. She's driving all of her seven children crazy because she won't embrace the fact that she now has limits. But she doesn't live like, she hasn't practiced up to this point. So she's not having a good ending here, which is quite sad. But the principle of limit, that's why succession's all about limits, right? I mean, the organization, by God's grace, is meant to go on without you. Yeah. And, you know, our lives are very brief in the sphere of eternity. I mean, we're just a vapor, right? We're just here for a moment. But our lives are important, but they're brief. And so, you know, it's 24 hours in a day. There's 365 days a year. I mean, I, I did an exercise this summer of, okay, if I take five weeks vacation, I'm going to be working 235 days in a five-day week. How many days am I going to give to my next writing project? I'm writing on emotionally healthy marriage. How many days am I going to give to build emotionally healthy spiritualities and leadership? How many days am I going to give to my church to serve their leadership? And how many days am I going to give to mentor pastors from the outside, you know, around the country and around the world? I divide it up into days and the limits of a calendar. It is a painful exercise to do because there's an, this issue of kind of this infantile narcissism. It, it's really biblically, it's rebellion that... I'll be God. I'll run the world. I'm more than that. No, I'm limited. I'm a human being. I'm frail. I've got to sleep. And, and so this is just a learning and embracing. It's a gift of limits is one of the most critical leadership tasks for all of us. And then we've got to discern and like, got in light of my limited time, energy, space, money, my marriage, kids I have, where I live. What are you inviting me to do in this short time I have? That takes silence. It takes solitude. It takes some wise counsel. It takes reflection. You can't be running 24-7 and ask these kinds of questions. Mm. Uh, you've got to somehow build some reflection into your life. That's why to me, a contemplative, a silence and solitude and stillness, Sabbath. Sabbath is a key principle of leadership as well, just building Sabbath in your life. And Sabbath is all about limits as well. Mm. God built it into the very creation. Six days we work, we, you know, we Sabbath a day. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I, I think I've talked even a little bit about this, that you go, you know, the hot ticket of discussion of life planning and discussion about white space and, 
you know, life planning, you know, the ultimate life plan is the Bible and and, yeah. and God kind of lays it out. And then white space, you know, a lot of executives tell you, you got to create white space and create time and free time. And really that's a big component of Sabbath, right? Of taking yeah. rest and listening and contemplating and praying and thinking. And then we always say, when you create white space, great ideas come. Um, yes. You know, I have a belief that when you create white space, when you take rest, God speaks to you. And that's Absolutely. where your ideas come. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's a biblical principle from, you look at Moses, 40 days in the wilderness, Elijah in the desert, John the Baptist in the desert, Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, Paul three years in the desert. I mean, there's just this principle of you in rest, God replenishes the soil. Actually, it comes out of the Hebrew understanding of, I don't know if you know, remember in in ancient Israel, they would work the soil for six years. Then they were commanded to have a sabbatical year. Mm. Then they were not to work the land because when it was resting the land, God would be replenishing the soil with mm. nutrients that were necessary for the long-term future. If they work the land every year, they kill it, they destroy it. In the same way with our own human soul, like you're not meant to work 24-7. It does violence to your soul, not just your person, your creativity is crushed and God built you for rhythms and you call it white space. Without it, we're not able to do the kind of deep work that really we need to do if we're going to lead effectively. So yeah, effective leaders are not just doing social media 24-7, you know, and constantly online. You've got space, yeah. you know, to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Pete, for our listeners, are there a couple of challenges that you would put in front of the leaders who listen to the Talent Magnet Institute podcast to help them kind of take a step back and really, you know, again, share with us some great insights that could be a pivotal experience for their leadership in life? Yeah, I mean, I would, well, that's a great question. I, mean, I think the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, which you refer to, that to me encapsulates the heart of what I want to say. Number one is that who you are is more important than what you do. And so to begin to build a life where you have time to work on your interior, your inner life. And so I break it down to things like face your shadow, be time to look at those parts of yourself that are dark, sinful, you know, the ambition that's an unhealthy ambition. And how are you going to get at that? What can you do to get some input into that? So it could be anything from sometimes like a counselor, a mentor, but taking the space to face your shadow because you end up bringing that wherever you go. Hmm. Second would be your marriage. You're going to lead out of your marriage and or singleness, but you're going to invest time. And again, getting help and counsel is needed, getting training to have a great marriage. It's not going to happen naturally, but how do you be a husband? How do you be a wife? in that context. And that's hard work. It's easier to go to work and build a company than it is to have a great family. I was friends with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company who actually mentored me, but he was you know, living a double life. <laughs> you know, but it was easier for him to go to work and make millions than it was to deal with his wife at home who was lonely mm. and unhappy. And he ended up paying for it, you know, dearly later. Third is that you slow down your life and you get a relationship. You really build that relationship with God, you know, mm -hmm. Christ. You slow down. How are you going to slow down? For me, it's things like silence and stillness. And then lastly, that you get a Sabbath in your life. You have a day a week that you don't do paid or unpaid work and you delight in God. You let your soil rest a 24-hour period 
And those four things I have found over the years, they're like pillars that if they're not set in stone, eventually your leadership, your external leadership will have cracks in it. It will show. That's one of my biggest learnings over my decades of leadership. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your stepping out, being so transparent in the work that you've designed and the impact of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast, your curriculum. I will make sure that in our show notes, we'll provide links to all of the previously referenced above and make sure that individuals are aware of your ministry and the impact that you and Jerry and your team are having through the work that God's brought you into. Thanks, Mike. Great to be with you and bless you at Centennial and the work that you're doing as well. It's a great work. And if I had been led into the marketplace, I join your team. All right. I appreciate it, Pete. We look for one day. You never know how our paths will continue to cross. And hopefully the leaders that are listening are able to bring this into their communities, into their places of worship. And we're excited to help connect those that are not aware of your organization and ministry together. That's great. That's great. God bless you, Mike. Great to be with you. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Take care. People talk, and not just about your products and services. Professionals share information about what it's like to work for you. So do you have brand detractors or brand ambassadors? Go to talentmagnetinstitute.com slash brand ambassadors to learn more. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.